Coming to you from the breakfast taco capital of the world, it's the most unique hour of sports talk streaming worldwide. Worldwide. And beyond. And beyond. Live from the Alamo City, it's the Two Shots Podcast, hosted by Joe Garcia. All right, welcome to another episode of the Two Shots Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Garcia, and today we're going to be joined by our special guest, the one and only Noah Magarro George from Pounding the Rock. Noah, it's been quite some time, man. How's it? How are you doing? I'm doing great. It has been a really long time, but I'm super glad to be here with you talking Spurs. The season's starting. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing good. You know, I'm doing really good. I'm excited that the Spurs season's about to, you know, kick off here in just one day. You know, it starts, everything starts on Tuesday. As far as the NBA season, it kicks off. Spurs are going to wind up playing. I mean, it's it's a great, great time of the year because you have NFL, you know, the NFL, you have the MLB playoffs, you have the start of hockey season, which started about a week ago. I mean, and then NBA is just kicking off as well. So it's like the Mecca, you know, sports. It's a great time to be a Spurs or a sports fan. Rather, It's a great time. Yeah, it sure is. And, you know, breaking news right before uh, we came on here and we start, uh, started with the live stream. The San Antonio Spurs announced that they have waived one Al Farouk Aminu. And that's something that was kind of funny to us because we were talking about that, uh, <laughs> you know, right before we came on air, probably like an hour ago. Uh, and we we're like, oh, who do you think is going to be waived? And who do you think is going to be waived? And I was like, I think it's Aminu. And you're like, I think it's Aminu, too. And then lo and behold, not even a couple minutes later, it drops. Aminu has been cut. I mean, what do you think of it? I think it's the right move. I think it makes the most sense, right? I mean, he's a guy who hasn't been healthy for a long time. I think in the last six seasons, he's only shot above 40% once from the field. So not really a guy who projects to help them a lot if they had kept him around. And if they play him, you know, who's he taking minutes from? It just, to me, it made a lot of sense to, to end up waving him. And his contract is, it's the last year of his deal, right? So it's only going to be a cap hit for this season. It's not going to affect them financially long-term. They're going to have some cap space on the books next year or open for them to spend next year. So I think it's the uh, the move that made you know the most sense for the Spurs. Yeah, I think it's the move that made the most sense because I would have hated to see Keita Bates-Diop uh, get the cut. You know, I, I kind of like the kid. You know, I still think that he has some value, especially with the San Antonio Spurs and, and you know, with this particular roster. Uh, then you're looking at, you know, what Drew Eubanks has done, you know, and, and, you know, he looked great. He's deadly beyond the arc. He really did work on his three point shooting, you know, and it shows the energy level that he brings. And you just like him in, in that second unit, you know, being able to bring that energy, that defensive uh, energy, you know, and being able to attack the rim almost every time he gets the ball. Like he's angry at the rim and he wants to dunk. So you <laughs> love that energy out of uh, Drew Eubanks. So I was like, it didn't make any sense to me to have any of the other name players cut. So this was a, a great move, I think, by the San Antonio Spurs. That really shouldn't surprise Spurs fans. But it is a move nonetheless. I believe right now they're down to 15 uh, players with a guaranteed uh, contract. They still have a slot open, I believe, for a two-way contract. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, they still have one. Joe Wieskamp is on one, and the other one is wide open. So I don't know who they're going to sign to that, but... You know, maybe, maybe they use it, maybe they don't. Who really knows? Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens as, you know, we start getting closer and closer here because I'm sure they're going to make some more announcements. Um, and I wanted to go ahead and pick your brain a little bit as the season, you know, is upon us right now. We are 
you know, on the eve of the NBA season. Uh, and there's a lot of questions about the San Antonio Spurs squad in particular. I believe you had uh, put out an article earlier today. You had retweeted an article. And in that particular article, they were saying something to the effect that the Spurs are predicted to only win 24 games. I think I, I, I even saw on ESPN and some of, some of the other outlets, too, that the Spurs, they had them winning in that neighborhood, 23, 24 games. I think the most that I saw uh, a reputable outlet having them as far as the uh, game total or the win totals for this particular season was like somewhere around 28.5. What do you think about 24 games? I think that's kind of low in my opinion, but I wanted to see what you thought. Yeah, I know Vegas has them at 28 and a half wins. And I mean, I think that's a little bit low for this team. But at the same time, I think in that 34, 35, 33 win range, that's that's probably fair for them. I mean, you look at what they have, um, a, a lot of good players, a, a lot of good depth. Um, I don't think they're going to have any trouble, you know, having one of the better benches in the NBA. But look, unless somebody steps up and is a, you know, a bona fide all-star, which that's hard to do, right? It's hard to be that in the Western Conference. I mean, I love DeJounte Murray. I think he's made strides. He shot over 40% from three on, you know, pretty decent volume in the preseason. But, you know, is he is he better than De'Aaron Fox? Is he better than Shea Gilgis-Alexander? Guys who, you know, there's contemporaries. They're close to his age and they're arguably better and they didn't make all-star teams a year ago. So it's going to be really, really tough. Not to mention that those teams didn't make the playoffs either. So it's going to be tough for the Spurs, but you know what? I'm just excited to see them play. Like all that I care about is, you know, getting DeJounte minutes, Derek minutes, Lonnie minutes, Devin minutes, like nobody's in their way anymore. And while I, I appreciated the veteran leadership that, you know, Patty and Rudy and DeMar bring, it's time to let the young guys see what they can do, you know, let them sink or swim. And, and if they exceed expectations, that's great. Um, you know, that, that would be great. But at the end of the day, I do think 34, 35, 33 wins. That's probably right around there, a realistic range. But 24, 28, if you have to bet money, go ahead. I would bet the over. <laughs> yeah, you know, I had an interesting conversation yesterday. Um, I was with my good friend, uh, Rudy Campos Jr., and he was kicking off his inaugural episode of uh, Sweep the League. It's, it's a radio show that he has going on now uh, on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And his co-host is Derek Gervin, which is the brother of one George Gervin. And we got to talking about, you know, the same exact scenario. What are your predictions for the Spurs moving forward, you know, into the 2021-2022 season? And, you know, he knew the whole bit as well. You know, 24 wins is what some of the outlets are saying. As you said, the Vegas oddmakers had him at 28.5. And he's like, you know, he goes, I, I, he, and he's a really cool guy to talk to. I mean, really down to earth guy. And he just was just giving his assessment, being a former NBA player himself, having, you know, being able to see, he's seen some of the, the younger players and he's seen some of, uh, you know, the team in, in action and whatnot. And he was like, you know, he goes, I think this team really can surprise uh, some people. He goes, I, he really believes that they're going to win. Like, you, you know, like you had mentioned, maybe somewhere in the 33, 34 range. And he says, if things go as planned, you know, and he goes, you have some players that really uh, exceed expectations, you know, you could possibly have the Spurs trying to make a run at that playing game, you know? He's like, he really thought that the Spurs could surprise some people this season. And I think they can, you know, the, the, the biggest question that I have moving forward in this season is, we saw how instrumental one Derek White is to this team uh, out there on the court. The thing is, with me is, if he can stay healthy, I think the Spurs can really um, 
surprise some people. But the thing is, I, I want to see him stay healthy. He he's kind of been riddled with injury a lot, and you know he has foot issues. You know, and I don't want to see him re-injure his toe, his foot, anything. You know, I want a healthy Derek White because we need his leadership. And not only that, it's a great tandem to have not only Derek, but DeJounte on the court at the same time. It really does help the Spurs that much more. Um, What do you think about that? I mean, if Derek stays healthy, Noah, how important is that to this team? Yeah, I I think it's instrumental. I mean, not to to play off numbers that were from a few years ago, but... Before the bubble, so not during the bubble, but before the bubble, Derek White was number one in points per possession out of the pick and roll as a ball handler, which that's not easy to do. There's a lot of really good pick and roll ball handlers, guys who can operate in the pick and roll, hit the pass, score out of the pick and roll. And he was number one, you know, out of a bunch of guys on a good sample size. And by the end of the bubble, he was somewhere in like five or six. And over the last three seasons, I think he's about 20th, but that's still really good. And I think you add that on top of his three-point shooting that he's been working on improving. You add it to his elite perimeter defense. He's one of the better rim protectors as far as a guy who can slide over from the weak side, has really good hands, um, You know, gets a ton of blocks as a guard. I like him. I think he can be really good. But like you said, being healthy is really the key there. And you look at this roster, you've got DeJounte Murray, Derek White, a guy like Lonnie Walker who has the theoretical tools but hasn't really put it together on the defensive end, but Devin Vassell, Jakob Pertl, Drew Eubanks. Um, that, that's a good defensive group. And, and I think maybe not exactly like the New York Knicks, but the New York Knicks, number one defense in the NBA last season, not very good on offense. They broke into the playoffs, right? I don't think that the Spurs have a guy like Julius Randle, but they certainly have the personnel defensively to be one of the better defenses. I don't think it would be out of the question to see them have you know, a, a top 10 defensive rating, be up there in deflection, steals, blocks, really make teams work for points, but it is the Western Conference. It's going to be harder to be in the playoffs, but if everything hits and everyone's healthy, especially Derek White, I could see them being in the play-in if everything hits right, but, you know, things happen. You know, players get injured, and, and, and that's the same case for other teams, right? Like Zion's not ready to go to start the season. Some other guys aren't ready to start the season, and maybe the Spurs get off to a good start, and they maintain some momentum, and they surprise people, and, you know, hopefully that's what happens because it's much more fun to watch, you know, winning basketball than it is losing basketball, even though I'll take the losses this year at the expense of young guys getting minutes and touches. Yeah, and I think the focus really should be at this point on on the growth of the player. Uh, right now we're entering a new era of Spurs basketball, and I've seen this happen in years past. Uh, I was around when they had, you know, that transition from the George Gervin era to right before the San Antonio Spurs did draft one David Robinson. And there was two seasons there where they absolutely did not even make the playoffs. They were not a very good squad, you know, and they made it. I think it, and during that time, they had maybe 28, 30 wins, something like that in those two seasons. And it wasn't good enough to make the playoffs. Then they went ahead and drafted David Robinson. And lo and behold, they had to wait two seasons before he was eligible. And then finally, that 89-90 season, they had a miraculous turnaround, one of the greatest turnarounds in NBA history when the Spurs won. 35 more games, and they actually made the playoffs. Now, <laughs> let's go ahead and be honest here. We, we don't have a bona fide superstar on this on this squad right now. Right now, it's kind of a lot of role players. We have some some veterans, you know, and and the team right now is making that transition, you know. And I think because they have a really good nucleus, it's all about growth. The growth of the younger players, seeing how well the veterans are going to go ahead and you know, play and and impart their knowledge onto this younger generation of player. And I believe that this is going to be the season of one, you know, break. It could be a breakout season for one Keldon Johnson. 
You know, we're going to see a lot more out of him. Uh, you're going to see a lot more out of Lonnie Walker. You know, unfortunately, Luka Samanich, the Spurs did go ahead and cut him. Um, it, it, things happen. You know, I understand a lot of the <laughs> anger from Spurs fans saying it was a wasted pick. But honestly, anytime you're going to go ahead and, and draft anybody in the NBA draft, things don't always work out. You know, it, it happens. It doesn't mean that it's a total failure. You tried. It just didn't work out. Doesn't mean that the kid's in a total bust by any means. He just might be better with another team. And good luck to to Luca with New York Knicks. You know, I'm still hoping the kid can have a career. He's very young, Noah. He's only 21 years old. So yeah. to go ahead and label him a bust, I think is premature. So I do wish him the best. But getting back to what I was saying about the the young core right now, it's all about growth and the wins. Yes, it matters, you know, and I understand that Spurs fans are tired of being in NBA purgatory, so to speak. They want to get back to the promised land. They want to go ahead and have the team get back to the NBA playoffs. But it's a process, and it's a process I think that we should appreciate and enjoy the ride. You know, you're yeah. going to look at these players grow. You're going to see them start to come into their own, and you should be there for that as a fan. You should praise the players. You should encourage them and enjoy that because. Then when they get back to the playoffs, Noah, it makes it that much more more enjoyable, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's interesting. You know, we do have a lot of fans and there's nothing wrong. You can be a fan however you want. I'm not here to police fans. I'm not here to tell you how to be a fan. But it's easy to forget that losing a lot of games can sometimes be a necessary evil to getting that franchise player, that superstar, the guy who can carry your roster. You mentioned how David Robinson had that 35-game turnaround when he finally got to make his debut with the Spurs. They made the playoffs. They were you know, almost a title contender right away. And then you saw that season where he wasn't healthy. Sean Elliott wasn't healthy. A lot of guys weren't healthy. And who did they draft? Tim Duncan. And he's the guy who was actually responsible for the biggest turnaround in NBA history, 36 games. And they yeah. made the playoffs and they were immediately title contenders and they won a title in his second season. And I'm not saying you know, there's a guy like that at the top of this draft. But to get guys like that, sometimes you have to lose. And I think being an NBA purgatory, that's tough. And I define that as being like the Orlando Magic were a few years ago, where you're the seventh seed, you're the eighth seed, you're the eighth seed, and you lose in the first round one, two, three times in a row. And, and it's great. Being in the playoffs is, is amazing. There's nothing like playoff basketball, but you have to have the right playoff basketball, right? You want to have playoff basketball for a team that has that superstar. Like with the Mavericks, yes, they've lost in the first, second round of the playoffs. But they have a Luka Doncic, right? They're getting him that experience. That's integral for him. And I think as soon as the Spurs find that guy, whether it's through the draft, free agency, maybe he's on the team, maybe he's not. But once you get that guy on the team, then being in the playoffs means something. You don't want to just be there to be there. You're trying to be there to win. We know the Spurs have five titles. They're trying to get a sixth. And look, right now, they're, they're just not that close. They're not a piece away. They're not two pieces away. And if they're bad and that means you get a good player in the draft, great. You know, and that's why I say I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not going to be upset if they lose games this season. That's fine. And like you said, the growth of the young players, that is what this season is all about. So I'm excited for, for this team, for what they can do, regardless if it's a win, a loss, just seeing the growth, just seeing guys get out there, get the reps, get the touches, get the shots. That's what I want. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you right away. Who do you think is going to have a breakout season this year? Because I've watched the preseason games. I was actually at the the last preseason game on Friday with the uh, with our good friend Ty and we had a good time <laughs> watching the game you know and looking at the players and seeing what they what they're going to be able to do out there on the court you know and everybody was really excited just just watching the 
these this team get up and down the court because one thing was very noticeable was the pace of the game has changed tremendously for this squad. You know, I know that a lot of fans were really upset with the methodical pace. Give it to DeMar and let him do his ISO, you know, moves or get him in an ISO situation. It's changed. You know, this team is getting up and down the court and they look really uh, exciting to watch, you know. And looking at this young squad, there, there's a number of young players out here. You have, you know, Trey Jones, you have Devin Vassell, you have Keldon Johnson, you know. Which which one of these players or which player, it could even be a veteran, do you think is going to have a breakout season? Yeah, if I had to put my money on somebody, I would actually put it on DeJounte Murray. Uh, and, and perhaps that 40% from three on three attempts per game isn't sustainable. But he looked a lot better. You know, when teams went under the screen, told him, hey, we, we know you can't shoot, shoot it. He proved them wrong, right? He proved them wrong for, what, a five-game sample size, which... Very small, but the shot looked more fluid. He looked more confident. He wasn't drifting to his left or right off of movement. So I really like DeJounte Murray in that aspect. He's going to have the touches to be the number one guy. He took the most shots in the preseason. He averaged the most points, the most assists, the most rebounds. So he's a guy who I could see going from that, you know, 16 points, six rebounds, five assists to, you know, at least 27 and seven. And I'm not saying that's going to be an all-star level player. And maybe he just puts those numbers up because he has the opportunity. But I really do think he's improved in several areas. And I think he's the guy out of everybody who is probably most primed for for a breakout. And look, I, I love Keldon Johnson. I think he was great with Team USA when he got to play. I'm sure he learned a lot. But I think what we saw in the preseason still doesn't really shoot the three ball that well. Doesn't really handle the ball all that well. Mostly a straight line driver still. Took some mid-range shots, knocked down a few, but percentages really weren't that great. So I think out of everybody, really, DeJounte Murray, he's the guy, and I know he's 25 years old, but to me, you know, he still has a chance to make a few strides, and we've seen him do it every single year, right? Like every single year, he comes back with a new trick, he's a little bit better at something, and I think this is the year that maybe we see him add the three-point um, you know, shot to his repertoire, which is really the thing that he needs to take that next step into being an all-star caliber level player. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me and watching, you know, DeJounte in preseason and even watching him in the last preseason game, because I was there in person, like we're seven rows from the court. So we had a <laughs> heck of a view of the players is is watching DeJounte grow as a leader. You know, you always we're always thinking, you know, coming in, coming into the season, who's going to go ahead and be that that leader out there in the court? And, you know, and I think the consensus is it's going to be DeJounte Murray. And I saw him in one particular play on that in the last preseason game on Friday. He made a mistake. And immediately he got mad at himself and he started pounding his chest and he was pointing to himself like that's on me, you know, like he was getting mad at himself, do better. And I kind of like that, you know, I want him to go ahead and do that, own it if you make a mistake and just, you know, get better from it, you know, and that to me signaled that he's pumped, he's ready and, you know, he's going to go ahead and just try to go ahead and lead by example. He made a mistake, he owned it, you know what, he's going to do better. And I think if you have that mentality and you go ahead and start calling out some of the other players and make them hold them accountable when they make mistakes, but encourage them and say, Hey man, let's get it. You know, the next play, you know, I think the team is going to do nothing but great, you know, things moving forward because you need a leader like that. Somebody who's going to go ahead and say, yes, we can make mistakes. Let's learn from them and get better. You know? And, and again, this season's all about growth and, and looking to see, who was going to emerge as that leader. And I think after this small sample size of five games, Noah, I think it's going to be DeJounte, as you said. Not only is he going to have a breakout season, he's going to take more of that leadership role 
Did you see anything out of him in preseason to make you believe as well that he's going to be more of that leader for the San Antonio Spurs squad? You know, not necessarily out of preseason. I think he's always been really good at holding himself accountable at, at sort of directing traffic on the defensive end to a degree. And one of the things that I think happened a few years ago, honestly, I think it's what, two, maybe three years ago when he tore his ACL, he missed that entire season. One of the things that has always stuck with me about him since that happened was the fact that he attended every single practice, every single film room session, even though he couldn't play. He didn't have to be there. Nobody told him he had to be there, but he showed up to every single one of the film sessions, every single one of the uh, uh, games, every single one of the practices. He was there. He was talking with teammates. He was communicating. He was being supportive. And that's not really something you can teach. And I think he's a natural leader. And I think if you look at everybody on this roster, he's the guy who, you know, he makes the most sense as the leader. He has that quality about him. And I really like that about DeJounte Murray. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and ask you about our bigs too, because We've had some new additions here. I got a good look at Doug McDermott, Dougie McBuckets, you know, <laughs> Jock Landale. We saw him a couple games and, you know, until he had to go ahead and be sidelined because of the concussion protocol. And we're also looking at who else we have on this squad as far as Yaka Portal. You know, we have a Yaka Portal. We have Drew Eubanks. And I got to tell you, you know, some of the new guys, you know, the big guys like Jock Landale, for example, Jock Landale. I like his ability to pass the ball. I think the guy's great as far as, you know, just him and, and having that, you know, ability just to see the court and just pass that ball. He's he's made some beautiful passes and he's hit his teammates in stride for some nice backdoor cuts. You know, he can get after it under the under the rim, inside the paint. You know, I like his energy and I like his aggression, you know. He kind of reminds me of the big banger 2.0, you know, <laughs> and Doug McDermott, you know, again, you know, he's bringing that energy. He he doesn't make a lot of mistakes out there on the court because he is a veteran at this point in, in his career and he can still pass the ball. Overall, I think they're great additions to the San Antonio Spurs squad. Uh, what did you think of not only, you know, the new guys, but also the existing bigs that we have in both Jakob and Drew Eubanks? Yeah, I think Jakob is pretty much what he was last year, which isn't a bad thing. He was really good last year. I don't really think he's added any sort of range on his jump shot. There really is no jump shot to speak of still. Um, but he's going to protect the rim. He converts really well around the rim as an offensive player, as a, as a role man, as a guy who you can dump the ball down to in the post. Um, but we know he doesn't have a lot of moves. He's not a guy who's going to take you one-on-one. -on -one. He's not a guy who's going to score the ball a lot. But we know what he is. As far as Drew Eubanks, Again, a really small sample size, very low volume, but he shot the three ball pretty well, something that we know that he had worked on all offseason. He told us that at the At The Line podcast, he said that uh, at media day, he said it at practices, so not super surprised with him. But in terms of like the new guys, I guess, I, I like what they have there. The one guy who I'm kind of not worried about, but I'm not really sure where he fits is Thaddeus Young, and uh, he's a guy who I really like. Tremendous passer, good rebound, uh, rebounder, decent defender, uh, but just because he can't shoot the ball, he can't really play him alongside Jakob. And if Drew's in the in the second unit, and I know that he had been shooting the ball more, but he's still not really a three-point shooter yet, not by NBA standards. I'm not really sure you can play him there either. So kind of confused what Pop's going to do with him. Didn't play a ton during the preseason. Um, but I'm, I'm still optimistic because I think he's a good enough player. He's a vet who's been around the league for a long time. You don't stick around the league for 14, 15 years if you're not good. So you know, hopefully they find a place for him. But I like the front court. I just think they're lacking some oomph, some star power. But, you know, that maybe that'll come in, in the next couple of years. Who knows? Yeah. Speaking of star power, we do have a rising star here. 
somebody who's been very popular with the Spurs fan base. And, and it's funny because if we go back, the reactions during the, everybody's NBA draft coverage was pretty much the same. I mean, I was doing the the draft show for Project Spurs. <laughs> and when the Spurs announced that they drafted Josh Primo at number 12, I was like, what? What happened? You know, I needed a minute. I'm like, I didn't I don't understand what happened here. Who is this kid? I, I didn't even have him on my radar at 12. And then I looked at y'all's reaction when you were doing y'all's your draft shows. And everybody was like, what? What happened? It was priceless. It, it was funny. But look at how the turnaround is from everybody. You know, now that they get their first glimpse of Josh Primo out of that first preseason game immediately. Oh, my goodness. This kid. Look at him. He's ready to go. You know, you need to go ahead and just put him in <laughs> into the lineup right now. Let's forego the G League. And, you know, the kids look great. You know, you look at the time that he's played, you know, out there on the court and he's looked really poised. He doesn't look shook at all. Very calm. He has a great shot, you know, and and he's very athletic. He's quick. There's a lot of upside to Josh Primo. And I understand why Spurs fans are so excited uh, with one Josh Primo, you know, and the thing is, they don't want to see him delegated to the G League. They want to see him get minutes. So. My question to you is, what are your first impressions of Josh Primo? Yeah, well, as you know, and I think a lot of Spurs fans know, I got to see him up close and personal for the very first time he ever put on the silver and black at Summer League. Uh, He certainly had some really good flashes, things that you go, wow, like not a lot of guys are doing that. But he also, you know, he didn't really shoot the ball well. He turned the ball over a lot. His defense was good in flashes, but again, it wasn't consistent. And at the end of the day, like, I understand Spurs fans not wanting him to go to the G League and say, oh, he's ready, but you know, I'll just drop a few nuggets here and you can, you can interpret this however you want. But you can sort out minutes by garbage time minutes and, and actual like, competitive minutes. During the preseason, he only played five minutes that weren't considered garbage time minutes. So um, that means if the team is up by you know, 10 or more in the last five minutes of a game. So he didn't really play a lot of high stakes minutes. And you look at the players he played against, they were mostly second stringers, third stringers, a lot of guys who are no longer on NBA rosters because they have been cut at this point. They were on Exhibit 10 contracts, just training camp contracts, essentially. So I like him. He played really well. He looked really good against bad players, um, unfortunately, uh, by NBA standards. Like I'm not, a, He's not a guy who I think you put in the starting lineup right away or you throw him in the second unit. And look, he, he was really good. Like I, I put out a stat this morning. He ranked 15th in points per possession out of every rookie in the 2020 class. That's 130 guys who played minutes during the preseason. That's great. He showed he could score the ball, but again, against what level of competition? Can we read too much into that? He also was 16th in turnovers per 100 possessions. A lot of turnovers, almost six. Um, That's not good. And that's also against not too great competition, but can we read into that either? So I think when you look at what he did during the preseason, both good and bad, not sure you can get a whole lot out of it because it was such a small sample size. And then you look at what he did at the summer league as well. Like again, shot below 36% from the field, below 28% from three, almost three turnovers per game. So there's a lot of good and flashes, a lot of bad consistently. But at the end of the day, I think when you send him to the G League, he's not going to have to compete with DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Trey Jones, Bryn Forbes, Lonnie Walker for minutes, for touches, for on-ball reps in the pick and roll to run an offense. And that's good for him. If you want him to be a primary at some point during his career, a guy who runs the offense is the number one scoring option. He's not going to get that sort of experience in the NBA with the Spurs, not with who they have right now. 
I just don't see Greg Popovich putting him in games over guys like Lonnie and Devin and DeJounte. It just, to me, is unrealistic. And you look at when Pop played him, like what I, like I said, it was mostly garbage time. That's probably because he also thinks like, hey, this kid's not necessarily ready yet, but I like what I've seen. And Pop has said that, you know, I love what I've seen, but he's also said pump the brakes. And I'm also kind of on that track where it's like, okay, he's been good. He's been had really nice flashes. But at the end of the day, the G League is probably what's going to be best for him. And I think at 18 years old, you can afford to be patient with him. So that that's just my take on it. I'm sure other people have a different sort of take. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm very excited with what Josh Primo can do. I like the flashes I've seen. He's really shifty. He has a good shot. He's pretty much knocked down from the corners. I mean, he's a guy who can really get into you on the defensive end super long, but I still think he needs to have some seasoning in the G League. And I know some people aren't going to like that, but that's just how I feel. I'm going to go ahead and ask you one thing here too as well. Bryn Forbes, you know, <laughs> all the Spurs fans are like, when he left, they were like, good riddance. Then he goes and plays with the Milwaukee Bucks. And then instantly they miss Bryn, Bryn Forbes' shooting prowess, you know, shooting from beyond the arc. Just the ability to knock down a mid-range jumper because the team did have a lot of issues when they would fall behind. No one could hit a bucket to try to get the team back into the game until late in that fourth quarter where it looked like they were going to make a run, you know, and they're going to come back. But it was too little too late. They had already dug themselves in a hole. And they were like, Spurs fans were like, you know what? I would love to have Bryn Forbes back. Well, they got their their wish came, you know, came true. We did get Bryn Forbes back. But I'm going to tell you, one of the things that has surprised me at, at one, Bryn Forbes has been his ability now to actually play pretty good defense. You know, it's like, I don't know what happened to him when he went with the Bucks, but he's played a lot better as far as his defense out there on the court than he did in, in years prior with the San Antonio Spurs. Um, maybe, you know, winning a championship and being with uh, some of these other players that made you better, made him better, want to play better uh, as a, you know, from a defensive perspective really did help. But I wanted to see if you had seen Bryn Forbes at least trying to play a little bit better on the defensive end. Yeah, I think when you look at what he did with San Antonio last time he was here, I don't think it was that he was so bad at defense that he was like unplayable. I think he was so bad because he played along guys like Marco Bellinelli and Patty Mills. It wasn't like he was just playing with one of them. He was yeah. playing with both of them over 200 minutes with all three of them on the court at the same time. That's a recipe for disaster. And honestly, what I've seen from the preseason, I don't really think he's any better than he was last time he was here. I think that he's in a more favorable situation. When you're playing next to guys like DeJounte Murray, Jakob Pertl, Derek White, you have so many more opportunities to have a mistake, to you know miss a rotation by a little bit, and you have a little bit of leeway. So, no, I, I don't really think Bryn Forbes is better at defense, but I certainly think Popovich won't have an opportunity to play him next to a guy like Marco <laughs> or Patty. He's going to be playing against some real all-NBA caliber level defenders, and even on the bench, Devin Vassell. Um, you know, Drew Eubanks, a, a really good rim protector for a backup big. Like, I think he's going to look a lot better. And I think that's the product of his situation. Now, I think that that's mostly why he's looked better. And I hope that maintains because it's never been an issue of trying. He always looks like he's trying hard, but now things have been made a little bit easier. And, and hopefully for the Spurs, that re results in a better defense overall. You know, one of the other players too, that I wanted to talk to you about, that's really, um, I guess he's come into this uh, what they call contract year, let's put it like that, <laughs> is going to be one Lonnie Walker. And Lonnie Walker has always been this 
big question mark around Lonnie Walker. Where do you put him? You know, what is he? You know, because he couldn't get a lot of minutes because of DeMar DeRozan. Then when you would put the kid in, he would have some games where he looked great. And then he had other games where he just looked outright horrible. Same thing could be said in this preseason. And it's it's just five games, mind you. But still, that, that inconsi- inconsistency from Lonnie is still there. I, I want the kid to do really well this season. I want him to find his identity. I think that's been the biggest issue with one Lonnie Walker. Him being able to find his identity, find that that spot, you know, and where he's comfortable in. You know, I don't know if the Spurs are really utilizing him to the the fullest of his abilities, you know. Um, but either way, you got to make the most of the the playing time that you do have out there on the court. I'm really rooting for Lonnie, but to me, this is a make or break year for Lonnie. And I think the perfect uh, position for him at this point in time is really him coming off the bench and being with that second unit. It takes the pressure off of him of having to perform at such a high level. But still, you still need to be able to perform and be consistent, especially if you're coming off you know, the bench and with that second unit. You need to keep the team either in the game or be able to sustain the lead that they do have. You know, So your thoughts on Lonnie Walker this season? Yeah, Lonnie Walker is is a guy, like you said, he's always had a lot of promise, but he hasn't necessarily fulfilled all of it. I'm not going to say that he's a bust or anything like that. He certainly looked good in flashes, right? He had a game where he scored that, I think it was 28 against Houston last year. I think it was like 30-something against the Bucks, and it's nice that he can do that every once in a while, but it's inconsistent production. I also think it's a, a little bit of a product of, you know, he doesn't get a ton of touches. Like, guys like DeMar DeRozan really took over the touches, had a lot of shots, um, and, and he didn't really get to play, I don't think, the role that he envisioned for himself. And then you saw in those games where DeMar missed games, sometimes he would come out and he'd explode for points and he'd have a consistent role and he'd look good. But really, at the end of the day, it's it's going to be on Lonnie to perform. You look at his numbers across the last couple seasons, below average at the rim, below average from mid-range, about league average from three. And he actually looks pretty good as a pick-and-roll ball handler, but He's got to do it on a consistent basis because otherwise you look at all these guys who the Spurs have. We've named them all, so I'm not going to name them again, but oh, yeah. they've got a ton of guards. They've got a ton of wings about the same size. You can't keep everybody. Not everybody can stay. And this is the season to really figure out who is here. Who do we need to move on from? Who can we possibly move on from? And if Lonnie doesn't set himself apart, I don't really think that it would be that wild to think that the Spurs might look to move on from him because, say, Devin Vassell steps up, say Trey Jones steps up, say even Josh Primo comes back, you know, after the all-star break and he he somehow carves out a role with the Spurs. You can't have all these guys playing at the same time. Somebody's got to make, you know, somebody's got to go. And so for Lonnie, this is the season to prove that because you're right. It is a contract season. He still hasn't gotten an extension, which could happen today. You know, they have until the end of today to get that done. But really, if you're the Spurs, why hand him an extension right now if he still has to prove it? And this is a prove it year for Lonnie, and hopefully he does well, and I'm rooting for him. But, you know, an injury kind of hampered him during the preseason, but I don't want to make excuses for him, and, and I'm sure he doesn't want to make excuses for himself either. So just got to see what Lonnie can do, and we can back him, and that's all we can do. Yeah, you know, and it's unfortunate because you do want to see Lonnie do well, you know, with the team. I, I don't want to see another Spurs, you know, spur that – had a a, long, a lot of upside, just just didn't work out with the team, you know. And, and Spurs fans are already saying Spurs cut Lucas Amanich. 
Now, if they go ahead and say goodbye to one Lonnie Walker, what does that say about pop in the front office? I don't think it really says a heck of a lot because they did the best they could with, you know, drafting players they thought would pan out. Now, if Lonnie doesn't work out with the team, it's not so much just on the Spurs front office. It's also on the player himself, you know, so you have that. Now, I know you know how the Spurs fans get, Noah. They always want to blame somebody, you know, for a, a player not working out. But ultimately, these things happen, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I completely agree with you. I think it's always a little bit on the player, a little bit on the front office. Um, I, I won't talk too long about Luca, but I do think you look at that Luca pick. And I've said this before in the past, but for me that year, he was the second rounder. So when they took him at 19, I went, okay, that's interesting because Keldon was 17th on my board and he was still available. So it's like, all right, well, Hopefully nobody takes Keldon. Thank God nobody took Keldon. They got him at 29. But And I know Spurs fans hate hearing this, like, oh, you could have had Brandon Clark or you could have had Matisse Tybel or you could have had Nazir Little or Kevin Porter. You could have had any number of other players. And I understand the argument a lot of times is, okay, well, those players don't raise your ceiling. You know, they're not superstars. But I think you look and if the Spurs draft, you know, a number of other players, you don't necessarily need them to be superstars or an all-star to get value out of them, right? Like, you can move them along other players. You can package them with a pick. You can package them with another player to gain other assets. And if you draft Luca at 19 and you end up cutting him before his third season begins, you basically got nothing out of him. You know, he hardly played in the NBA. He, he played well in the G League, but that doesn't really matter. That doesn't impact your NBA organization unless that player graduates to your NBA program and plays. He didn't get any trade value for them. They couldn't trade him. They couldn't do anything with him. So... I understand it is a little bit on the front office that, look, they reached for a guy who, in theory, I do think in theory, he made sense, right? He, he could dribble the ball a little bit. He could pass a little bit. He could shoot a little bit. But there were other guys who were probably better picks on the board. So hopefully, you know, Lonnie isn't the same way. And I don't think he will be. Lonnie has already shown much more than Luca ever did. You know, he's played in the NBA. He's had phenomenal games. He's had phenomenal stretches. And he's a guy who we know he's bringing it every single night. You know, he he puts a lot of effort into things. He chases down balls. He's out there every single night. And so, you know, I don't think Lonnie's ever going to enter that Luca territory. And I won't call Luca a bust because I do think that's unfair for a 21 year old, but I do think Lonnie could be one of those guys who, if he doesn't pan out for the Spurs, like, you know, maybe he needs another team to, to get the most out of him. But I hope it's here in San Antonio. I really like Lonnie, good player, good kid. So I know San Antonio is rooting for him. He's always sort of been a fan favorite since he got here. Yeah, he has been. And not, not only that, but you love the kid because he does a lot of things for the community. He he truly does love being here. You know, he goes out and he does community service, you know, and he's just an overall great human, you know, and you, you want to see the kid work out. I'm rooting for Lonnie. Hopefully this is going to be his year and he can just bring it together and be a little bit more consistent. But moving on here, let's go ahead and as we start bringing this to a close, I wanted to get your thoughts on something that has been on the mind of Spurs fans. I know it's been on my mind as well. Because we look at one Greg Popovich, the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs. He's only 26 wins away from being the most winningest head coach in NBA history, passing his mentor, Don Nelson. And you know the sun is setting on his career at some point. You just never want to see it actually set. You know, you want to see him continue to coach for as long as he wants to go. But there was a report coming out by uh, Jordan Schultz. And he's saying that, you know, some of the league sources are, are, are saying the Spurs are preparing for Greg, you know, Greg Popovich retirement in probably about one to two years. And as, you know, he's 
beginning his 26th season, head coaching season, the organization told uh, Jordan Schultz, you know, from what he's heard from his sources, is that they're initiating an extensive search, both in-house and externally, into finding uh, Coach Pop's uh, successor. And the thing is, is when I talked with uh, Derek Gervin yesterday, and he brought up something that I thought was really interesting. He's like, a lot of the Spurs fans, including myself, are always saying, hey, the successor is already right here, one Becky Hammond. And Derek's like, well, you know, you did have Manu that came back and is kind of being able to, you know, do whatever he wants to at this point. You know, if he wants to be a scout, be a scout, player development, he wants to go and, you know, spend some time helping helping some of the younger players develop. He's going to do that as well. He goes, wouldn't it be fun, wouldn't it be a lot of fun, he said, if one Manu Ginobili decides that he wants to go ahead and coach for the Spurs and the Spurs actually go ahead and anoint him the successor to Coach Pop, if, in fact, that's something that he might want to do and the Spurs feel that it's a good fit for him. Uh, your thoughts on that, Noah? Yeah. Oh, man, that's a that's a complicated question. Um, I love Manu Ginobili. He's my favorite Spur of all time. He popularized the Eurostep. He's one of the most decorated international players of all time. He's a competitor. He's a legend in his country. I mean, you, you could throw a number of accolades on his name. I mean, he's a phenomenal player, phenomenal human being, but we haven't ever seen him coach before. He's never coached before. They finally were able to reel him in. And like you said, they said, you know, you can be a scout if you want to be a scout. You want to help player development, do that. If you want to help our front office, do that. And honestly, if you're looking at it from a perspective of the guys who are on the roster, you know, at the end of the day, it is the Spurs decision. It's Pop's decision. It's the front office's decision. But don't you think, and, and I don't mean this in like a bad way, but don't you think if you're Becky Hammond, if you're, you know, um, Mitch Johnson, if you're Matt Nielsen, guys and women who, who have coached with this organization for a few years, that it's a little bit of a slap in the face that they go, okay, well, you're a legend of our franchise. So you get to coach, even though you've never coached, you never sat on the bench, you haven't traveled with the team day in and day out for years, but you guys have, but you know what? This guy looks better. He's more fun to us. I, I just kind of, that something about that doesn't sit right with me. And at the end of the day, again, it is the Spurs front office's decision. They can do whatever they want and, and I'm sure people will live with it, but it would be weird to me if they, you know, went with Tim Duncan or, or, or Manu Ginobili or Tony, like something like that. And I always think that's why it's a little bit weird. You know, Manu has kids. He's wanted to be a big part of their lives. That's why he didn't coach like right off the bat. We knew he wanted to be a part of their lives and live up retirement. And, you know, if he's a head coach and he's constantly on the road with the team, despite never having coached before, I do think it's a little bit of a weird decision. But if they made him the coach, I wouldn't complain. I just think it would be weird to have to tell everyone else who's waited their turn that, look, we, we know you've put in the work and the hours and you sat on the bench and been on the planes, but it's not for you. So that that's just my opinion. I wouldn't be upset with it. But if I was a coach on the bench, I would certainly have my head like rattled a little bit by the decision. Yeah. My, my, my thought on the whole thing is I would like to see Becky Hammond, you know, go ahead and pick up that mantle. But if it's not in the cards, you know, the Spurs just feel like they want to go in a different direction. That's up to them. You know, no matter yeah. how we feel as fans, that's up to the organization. <laughs> We're not in the front office, you know, and if they, you know, somehow decide, Hey, we want to go ahead and go with Manu. Again, that would be up to them. Maybe they see something that we don't, you know? So Of course, of course. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that 100%. I just think it's more likely we see a guy or, or like, you know, Will Hardy or Ime Udoka or Brett Brown or even Mike Budenholzer if that day comes where he's no longer with the Bucks and, and the Spurs need a new coach. It makes more sense with those people or Mitch Johnson or Becky Hammond than it does with Manu, who, like I mentioned, never coached before, ever. 
So, but again, you're right. It is their decision. I'll live with it. I'll be happy regardless. Uh, I'm just here to cover the team. So, you know, they do what they do and, and I'll just sit here and I'll be happy regardless, really. Yeah. Oh, I'd be, I'll be sad to, to say the least once Greg Popovich decides. Oh yeah. Oh. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> you know, so I'm going to uh, enjoy the season for what it is. I don't even want to think about it. I'm just going to enjoy watching him, you know, coach the team out there. Even on Friday, I was watching him and what he was doing out <laughs> there. And I was just enjoying it. You know, look at Coach Pop. You know, you're so used to seeing him as a staple out there on the sidelines. And it got me thinking, how sad is it going to be when you look over at the sideline and he's not there <sighs> anymore? You know, just like we were, we took, I think, Tim Duncan for granted, Tony Parker for granted, Manu Ginobili for granted. You know, and then when they're not there, it really hits you, you know, and I think that's what Spurs fans need to prepare for. Don't take it for granted. Enjoy Coach Pop. Enjoy the season. Ultimately, we're just excited to see the San Antonio Spurs play basketball once again, you know. So wanted to go ahead and get one more thing from you. Prediction. Final. <laughs> what do you think the Spurs are going to wind up doing this season as far as their record? Me, personally, I'll go ahead and start first. I think that the Spurs are going to go ahead and win anywhere between 28 to, in my opinion, maybe 30 games. I think they're going to flirt with the play-in game. Ultimately, I just think there's going to be too much inconsistency from this team for them to actually get into the play-in game. I'm going to enjoy the, watching them play. There's nothing wrong with not making the playoffs. It's going to get you a higher lottery pick in the, in the long run and maybe help the team you know, moving forward for their future. So all is not lost. I'm going to enjoy the growth, and I'm going to enjoy just <laughs> watching what this team can do. You know? But to me, it's going to be anywhere between 29, maybe 28 to 30 games max. What do you think? Uh, you know, I, I think it's probably going to be 33 to 35, sort of like I mentioned earlier. And I think a lot of their ceiling is dependent on whether or not they play like Coach Popovich said they were going to play at Media Day. At Media Day, he said, you know, we're shooting more threes. We're going to run with pace. We're going to pay attention to detail on the defensive end and really, you know, get after it. And they've certainly done well in their promise on the defensive end. They've looked really good. They had a top 10 defense in preseason, small sample size, but it looked good. It looked legit. They were taking more three-pointers, um, you know, still sort of middle in the league as opposed to the very bottom of the league, which is improvement. But at the end of the day, you look at that pace. They were near the bottom of the league in pace during preseason. And they were also top of the league almost in, in mid-range shots. So I'm afraid to say that they've made too many changes, right? Like if they don't make a ton of changes, I do think 33 to 35 is their realistic range. But if they hold true to what Pop said they were going to do during during media day, during the preseason, then I think they could win 40 games and maybe push for that playing spot. But again, they've got to be healthy. They've got to hold true to what Pop said he was going to do. And, and, and they're going to need somebody to sort of take a step. But realistically, 33 to 35. Yeah, weren't, weren't, it's going to be like that's sacrilege how dare you do that to the team? We're, we're being realistic you know i mean it's going to be a season of growth again so just enjoy what you're seeing out there from the squad support the team and be kind on spurs twitter this season <laughs> to one another i mean man it, it's getting brutal it's getting really brutal out there you know and this season is going to be no exception noah they're going to oh, want to burn the whole thing down <laughs> after every loss. <laughs> oh, man, it's going to be tough. But, you know, as long as they can keep away from name calling and, oh. and uh, you know, adding players and telling the players, oh, you stink or, you know, you couldn't do, you know, as long as people stop doing that and they just enjoy the basketball, regardless of the wins or losses, just appreciate what's going on in the process of getting back to where you want to be. I think it could be a fun season. But if people are going to be bickering on Twitter and, 
and in person, maybe who knows, maybe we'll see a few drunk fans. I'm sure we will, but oh, no. <laughs> uh, hopefully it's a good season because I'm excited for it. I don't care if they win or lose. I just want to see basketball and I have a smile across my face because I mean it. I, I really mean it. I'm just excited for whatever they put out there. So, um, you know, hopefully fans can enjoy it too. And as we bring everything to a close here, still no San Antonio Spurs City Edition jerseys. <laughs> and we're all waiting for it. All of us are waiting, including me and Noah. I mean, we we're, we we can't get a leaked photo fast enough. Let's put it like that. <laughs> I mean, we don't control things and we're waiting just like everybody else. I, I know that the big, the biggest secret or, or not the biggest secret is going to be the white you know, Fiesta jerseys that everybody's waiting to, you know, waiting to drop and stuff. But when it drops, it drops, you know, <laughs> I'm sure no, and everybody will start, you know, do a good job and post, post the photos once they have them. But we're just like everybody else right now. <laughs> we're in waiting and we're into anticipating that things will hopefully come through here shortly. You know, we'll put it like that. So Noah, where can everybody follow you on social media? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at N underscore Magaro. You can check my YouTube channel out where I do Spurs film breakdowns at Noah Magaro George, just my name. You can find my words at Pounding the Rock. And you can listen to my podcast, at, uh, Alamo City Limits. Sorry, I almost said at the line. You can also listen to that. But Alamo City Limits, it's the Spurs podcast of SB Nation. We haven't recorded in a few months, but we're going to do a season preview tomorrow. So look forward to that. But uh, besides that, thank you so much, Joe, for having me. It's been too long since we did this. So, you know, I appreciate you bringing me on. And this was really a blast. I had a ton of fun. Yeah, it's always fun to talk Spurs basketball with you. Know, I look forward to a good season and all the great content <laughs> that you're going to be cranking out for Pounding the Rock. And I like uh, listening to you know your your new podcast here or your second season, should I put, of Alamo City Limits. So that's a good listen. If you haven't listened to it, make sure you go ahead and do subscribe and listen because I am sure that it is available across all major podcast platforms. Correct, Noah? It sure is. Yep. And, th and thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate you, uh, you know, giving me those kind words there. It means a lot. Yeah. Thank you, man. So with that, let's go ahead and bring this show to a close. So for Noah Magarro George, I'm Joe Garcia. Thank you for watching and for listening to another episode of the Two Shots podcast. And like we always say, spread the love, stop the hate, be kind, we're out. Peace.